Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cross-Examination, a podcast for curious Christians confronting complicated questions. My name is Cale Prindle. Thank you for being here for part two in a three-part series that I'm calling Counting on Christians in a Crisis. This is part two called Idols and False Prophets. And that sounds a little extreme. I've been thinking about it all day. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm using some real heavy biblical language just titling this. And it might sound like I'm going to make some pretty heavy accusations. And it's probably worth pointing out now here up at the top. Yeah, yeah, I probably will. This is cross-examination. We are supposed to be looking at things from different angles. If this is your first time in, just a quick recap on what we're all about here. We're Christians and we're having some hard time with some issues. There's a lot of a lot of questions, a lot of faith areas that the church in general does not do a lot of uh exploration into it. Um, I, I grew up in a, a very conservative church that there's some big issues they just didn't talk about, or they just kind of glossed over them. And that's what this podcast is about. It's like, let's take a hard look at some of these big issues that are big enough that a lot of people, they'll just up and leave the church because these issues are so big. But we're going to try to deal with them because we're trying to figure out life. We're trying to figure out how to make our way in this world in some way. And it's hard And so this is a space where we can all acknowledge it's hard. So will I get critical today? Yeah, I will. But before I do, I want to talk a a quick, quick thing about yesterday's episode. Somebody, a friend of mine, listened to it and uh, he pointed out to me that as I keep saying the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, what I probably should be saying is the white church and Absolutely. I totally should because it makes a huge difference. And I want to first off apologize for doing that um, because that can make a, a massive difference for how you receive this message, but also a huge difference in, in the reality of the situation. The white American church, for instance, has been bleeding out members for years and years and years. It keeps getting smaller and smaller. Fewer and fewer people go to white American church. However, Statistics show that if you're going to a church that is not a predominantly white church, that uh, attendance is fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's the white American church that's bleeding out more. Um, So anyway, I didn't say white American church. I just said church. And that is my own bias. That's my own uh, experience because I am a white person and I grew up in a conservative church. So when I say church, I've, I've got a very specific thing in my mind. So let's be a little more clear. When I'm saying the church... What I meant and what I mean is I'm thinking of mostly white, Protestant American churches. And I say Protestant because I'm not Catholic and I don't know a ton about Catholicism. I just know it was very different than how I grew up. Um, But I think there's probably some carryover there. But in my brain, when I say the church, like I get a, a very specific image of like evangelical, like the entire stage is lit in like bluish purplish lights because White Christians love bluish, purplish, purplish lights in their in their aesthetic. Um, singing praise songs, um, yeah. Anyway, so my apologies for lumping everybody under one under one umbrella. I did not mean to do that, and that was worth going through. I think so. Today, idols and false prophets. Let's get to the good stuff. 
so when I was going to start this series, it was primarily in response to something that Donald Trump did. Two days ago now, from when I'm recording this, Donald Trump, amidst protests that have been happening across the country in response to the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police officers, uh, Donald Trump needed to take a picture. And he had, whether it was him, we've heard it's William Barr, his attorney general, it doesn't matter. What happened is they shot gas, most people say tear gas, defenders say it wasn't tear gas, it was some other kind of smoke thing, it doesn't matter. They cleared protesting crowds so Donald Trump could walk across the street, hold up a Bible, and take a picture in front of a church. That's it. That's all he did. And when I saw that, I was livid. I was so mad. Because I'll just be open and honest here. I got some major problems with Donald Trump. And I have a major problem with Christians supporting him. I don't understand it. It confounds me every day. But to see him stand in front of a church and just hold up a Bible... It looks ridiculous, and I don't buy it. I don't believe it. And so in the middle of this crisis where we've got people protesting and rioting about police brutality and racial injustice, here still within a COVID-19 pandemic, my question still keeps coming back to, can we count on Christians in a crisis? Like, when this stuff is going on, and we see how they respond, and we don't get a universal condemnation for the death of George Floyd, and we have people who are making excuses for why they're not supporting the protest because they're becoming too violent, and we're getting people who will support Donald Trump and say, well, at least he's bringing God back into America, and it confuses me. And I think we need to talk about it. And I think the only way we can talk about it, really, is to talk about how fear moves us in our life, and how fear moves white Christians in their life. Yesterday, I talked about a history of Christianity that included persecution, that included near extinction, but also included white Americans, especially reaching points of power where they can exploit and oppress people. And we need to understand all sides of that history. And I talked about how At this point, white American Christians feel like there is a war going against them. And this is a common thing that's brought up when you grow up in the church. That the world is hostile toward you. That it's going to do everything it can to destroy you. That Satan is out there and he's waiting for you to make any mistake and he's going to drag you to hell. Like, these are the things that you grow up hearing. And it creates in us a pretty hefty dose of fear. Because how in the world do you walk through the world always on guard waiting for that one thing to happen and just steal your soul away? Ultimately, of course, this leads to people not being very compassionate. My personal church growing up was very clear that if you, even if you were a Christian, but you were from a different denomination, you are wrong and you better get right. And, um... It's a problem because we are not compassionate. So the question, why don't Christians more uh, universally condemn the death of George Floyd and why aren't they more supportive of the protests? In many cases, it's because the white American Christian church in this country, don't know where else it'd be when I said American, but that white American church does not teach compassion well. 
And it seems, for some reason, the more conservative that church, the less compassionate it becomes. And I think that's because of fear. White American Christians, especially as you get more and more conservative, become very fearful about losing a way of life, about watching the pillars of what they believe not support the world like they thought it should. But sometimes this fear definitely puts them in more trouble than than they would be in if they hadn't done anything. Let's go back to the 1920s briefly for a quick story. In the 1920s, you have the Scopes trial. It's often called the monkey trial. And the short version of it is that there was a substitute teacher in, I think, Tennessee, and he was teaching science out of a textbook. And in that textbook, it included... Darwin's theory of natural selection and evolution. This was a time in America's history where the Christian church was so big, so powerful, so prominent, and so influential that they went after that substitute teacher and took him to court for teaching out of a science book that included the theory of evolution. What a weird, different world. Now, I would actually believe if that happened now because Christians at this point have created a reputation for themselves for coming in and taking books out of school libraries and trying to censor voices and ideas that they don't like. But at the time, it was flipped around. They were in that powerful position and they were so concerned they were going to go and take that person to court. Now, there's another element as well, which is important to consider here, that there were people who, when this happened, they wanted media attention on this. They said, this is going to put our town on the map that we're going to have this trial in this place, but it totally backfired. During the trial, where the main question should have been, hey, did you teach the theory of evolution in the science class when you were there for the day? The answer should have been yes or no, and then if that was against the law, you convict the man or you don't. But what happened instead is the lawyers got into a huge debate on whether or not the Bible was even true. And so the whole thing became a creation-evolution debate that went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And one of the lawyers was on the stand trying to defend his perspective that the world is 6,000 years old. And... Basically, he got schooled. He got put in a position where he was fighting and struggling to to answer these questions, and the other lawyer got the better of him, made him look stupid. After that, no one really cared about the trial. It became a big thing in the United States because what that meant for Christians is they had gone out to try to squash another perspective, another voice, another belief system, And it backfired. And now they looked silly and actually they started to retreat back into their church communities. That was almost 100 years ago. A lot has happened since then. That if you were a white conservative Christian, you would have had to have thought, oh my goodness, what is happening to this country? But I just want to focus on like the last 30 years because I think that gets us to where we are now enough that we can talk about. So in the last 30 years, let's talk politics for a moment. In the 1990s, you have Bill Clinton, who by the time he's out of office, has one of the most (laughs) talked about and known about affairs in American history. And people were furious about it. He is replaced after 
uh, his second term by a Republican president who went real hard to make sure everyone knew that he was a Christian. And he talked about it a lot. And I know he talked about it a lot, not because I was paying a whole lot of attention at the time. Uh, He was voted in while I was still in high school and not old enough to vote. But I know because I talked to people who voted for him and, and throughout his two terms, when it came to light that he had authorized the use of torture to get information from people, we saw an engine start to dismiss any problems that might come along with that. Some of those dismissals were waterboarding's not even torture, really. And some people said, well, he was not perfect, but I just liked having a man in the White House who I know believed in God. Of course, Bush then is followed up by Barack Obama, which a lot of people said he was Muslim when he wasn't. And during his two terms, I think we get a lot of the stuff that leads us to a Donald Trump. And those things are, during the presidency of Barack Obama, there were more things that became part of the the national conversation that hadn't really had the prominence before then. I'm talking about colonialism talk. We didn't talk about it much. I definitely still grew up with the idea that when Columbus came to the new world, it was for the betterment of all of humanity. And I still played cowboys and Indians. And I still did all of that stuff growing up. No one told me that colonialism was bad. And then we also started having conversations about social inequalities, which I know is not a new topic, but it got more and more of a voice when Barack Obama was president. You started having people really point out in in classrooms, they would talk about how like, well, why is it that we're only reading the literature written by old dead white guys? And so there's a push in the 21st century to diversify thought, diversify stories, to give credit and credibility to more people. At that same time, the message starts getting spread around that white people have been in charge since forever. White people started saying, how come there's not a white history month? Which is silly because all history is white history, but nobody likes being told that, hey, why don't we talk about how great it is to be white? Well, all we've talked about are white people who are great. And somehow, oh, and then before he leaves office, under the presidency of Barack Obama, same-sex marriage is made legal in the United States. This is a massive change in a pretty short period of time, not just on how the country is formed, but the conversations that we're having. And a lot of people were very uncomfortable with it if they were white conservative Christians. It was a paradigm shift. It was a time where we said, God and country, if you're saying those are the same thing, then they both have some major things to account for. They have to account for why it was okay that under the Christian flag, explorers came from Europe and spread diseases and killed scads of indigenous people who brought slavery to the new world. These are not easy questions, especially if you're going to say that this is all part of a Christian country. And so people became critical. People were considered not patriotic. Like, as an old millennial, I've been told so many times that I'm not patriotic because I'm asking questions about my country, and I say, I don't think it's okay that we did that. And so that makes me more vocal to say, whoa, 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 you can't just say I'm not patriotic because I think it was wrong that 
Catholics went to Native Americans, insisted that they only speak English and not speak their own language to cut their hair, to make them dress up like white Catholic people would do instead of honoring their heritage of their tribe. I think it makes sense to say that's a bad thing to do because white Christianity tromped around the globe and destroyed cultures everywhere it went for a very, very long time. And now, in 2020, some Christians are at a point where we admit that was a problem. But some people haven't. Some other people said, hey, how come you're attacking them? They felt like when you attacked that, that you were attacking them. And what happened in that moment? We got Donald Trump coming down an escalator. A man who said, I'm not a politician. I'm not just going to say stuff to you and, and, and not keep my promises. I'm here to fight for you. I'm going to do whatever I can for you. Personal opinion. It was never convincing. And I still don't understand how anyone thought it was. Here's where I thought Donald Trump had com- was going to completely lose people. Or at least completely lose the Christian vote completely. You might remember this moment. Donald Trump's at Liberty University. He's giving a speech. And he's talking about how he is going to protect Christianity. He's going to protect it. Again, as if it's under attack. Either he or his advisors knew that if he spins the narrative that Christianity is under attack, that it is the victim, that we will say, that's right, because that's the narrative we tell ourselves. But I remember that not because he said he was going to protect Christianity. We all remember that moment because that's when he says, you know, like in 2 Corinthians, and that moment when we realize Donald Trump doesn't know what's in the Bible. He doesn't know that it's not called 2 Corinthians. And I would have thought that Christians would look at that and say, oh, see, he's just pandering to us because he needs us, but he doesn't actually understand what we're about. Somehow that's not the message that came across. And somehow Donald Trump, with that same attitude, never learning anything, being more offensive than any candidate I have ever seen, being more scandalous than Bill Clinton was when he was president because we have audio of Donald Trump saying that he would sexually assault women because he was famous and they would let him do it. We hear that he had to pay hush money to a porn star about an affair they might have had. And still a lot of white American Christians did not hesitate to check his name. So now, it's three and a half years later, we have seen Donald Trump make big statements, and in some case, big moves, to continue to support this base. Right now, we're still in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic, something that, among other things, has led to churches not being allowed to have actual church services in their church buildings. And Donald Trump, since Late March, early April has been pushing to let churches meet again. And for white American Christians who feel like they are the victim in every situation, who feel like a Starbucks cup that doesn't say Merry Christmas is a personal attack against Jesus, they like that this man wants it to happen. 
Now, it hasn't happened yet, but that's why, to me, this walking across the street and holding up a Bible felt so egregious to me. At that point, it seemed just like two Corinthians that this is a guy who is doing something that is so obviously and thinly veiled, you know, hey, look, this is what you want, right? It's the middle of chaos and, and, and riots and everything else. And you're all saying this is ridiculous. And I'm telling you, you know what we need? Look what they did to this church. This church is all boarded up. I'm going to hold a Bible. You guys with me? You guys with me? And again, some people are. Yes, some people have spoken out against it. The, the people in charge of that specific church were like, dude, don't bring us into this. But <laughs> he still did. And there's a lot of people saying they support him. Why and how, I don't know. Except that if you are letting fear drive your life, you are willing to make compromises on so many different levels. I have heard people defend Donald Trump by saying that, well, I assume every politician is no good. So why bother holding him to a higher standard? I've heard people say that, yeah, we know he's not much of a Christian, but you know what? God uses people who aren't Christians all the time. In the Bible, he used Cyrus. Cyrus, in the Bible, was a king who helped end the uh, captivity of the Israelites when they had been taken to Babylon. He wasn't Jewish, but he helped the Jewish people. So that's Trump for some folks. And I'm not even here to, to hate on whether or not Trump believes one thing or another. To me, that's not the point. To me, what is so frustrating about what's been happening and him holding up that Bible in front of the church is to Christians, it should be clear that that is the essence of taking the Lord's name in vain. He is using Christianity. He is using the Bible. He is using the name of God for his own benefit. Because he could have given any message. We all know what it's like when he reads a speech that's prepared by one of his speechwriters, that he just kind of mumbles his way through it very slowly. It's completely different than how he talks normally. But he could have done that. He could have been in the Oval Office and say, my fellow Americans, we need to get back to God. There's chaos out there and everything's going nuts. And what we need now more than ever is unity under God. And it would have done more than tear gassing people to look grumpy holding a Bible. But he does something very cheap. Something's very shallow. Something very self-serving to make a scared, insecure group of people feel better. So I'm wondering now, what is the real idol for white American Christians? I don't know that it's actually Donald Trump. I think it's our own security. I think it's the way we've built church. Because when we first had conversations about like, we need to go back to church, church is essential. Is it? Like, what is our view of a relationship with God that requires us to go do the liturgy to be a Christian? 
from everything I understand about God from the Bible, is you don't need to go to a church and play a song and then pray and then play three more songs and then pray again and then collect offering and then someone speaks for a while, then you sing one more song and then you all get up and you leave. That's not a part of what the Bible says we need to have a relationship with God. Now, I'm not saying it's not pleasant. I'm not saying that it's not something that can rejuvenate you. I know that it can. For some people, it is their favorite part of the week to go and be surrounded by people who are friendly to them, who include them, who give them hugs, who you can sit there and they will all say, we believe in this wonderful, beautiful deity who loves everybody. And that is a, I'm not going to discredit that. But we also have to admit that 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 expectation of what church is does not belong to everybody. For a lot of people, churches are the exact opposite. They are places that are exclusive. They are places that will push you out if you do not conform. They are places that will not value your personhood based on your sexuality or your gender. These churches going to those buildings, that's not what God is. So I think that maybe church... The church, the buildings, the structure, the liturgy, the the organization, maybe that's part of our idols because we're so concerned with maintaining a status quo of the culture of church that we forget that we have a personal connection to the divine. We forget that the Bible tells us that God lives in us that the Holy Spirit is with us, that we are the temple of God. And because we forget that, we become so scared that somebody else's issue, that they're going to get the special treatment. Oh, fine, they get to go out and... Oh, I saw this from someone. I don't... mm. They get to protest, but I can't go to church. I saw someone say that. It makes me so angry. Because how selfish... How ridiculous that somebody, first off, they didn't get permission to go protest. That's not how that works. But they're out there saying there's something wrong in the world. There's an injustice and we have to fix it. And someone else is on the other side. It's like, but I want to go and sing, I am a friend of God. You can do that at home. You can read the Bible at home. You can pray at home. You can talk to people from home. I know it's not the same, but it's not oppression. And having Donald Trump, maybe he's the golden calf, I don't know, to have him make a shallow movement that says, hey, Bible, church, you guys love me, right? That should have no effect on us. We should be aware that throughout all of history, people have looked to religious groups to support them in their power. We should be aware that the way we behave as a community can impact the lives of everyone around us. But we don't always do it. And so I have to look at the words of Christ when he started to get on people's case. Because the beautiful thing about Jesus, one of the many beautiful things about Jesus, is he did not hate on or call anyone out that he didn't think should have known better. I hope I said that right. The people he criticized were people who were already in the religious community, right? Centurion shows up. He's not yelling at him. 
Samaritan woman, he's not yelling at her. The woman they bring to him said this woman committed adultery. He doesn't yell at her. He yells at people who should know better. And I think the white Christian American church should know better. We should know better than to think that being right is not the best thing to be. Being loving is the best thing to be. When Jesus tells us, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me, that's the most important thing. That's how we behave. That's how we should guide all of our decisions. Does this decision bring grace and love to my fellow human beings? If the answer is no, then it is not in alignment with Christ. If you're concerned because like, well, mm, Paul says, Paul, we've, we've all agreed that Paul is not correct on everything. We know that. <laughs> we have we've agreed mostly, not all of us. A lot of us have agreed as a culture like, yeah, we can let women talk in church. That's okay, we can do that. We decide how we spread the gospel, how we spread the message of love and mercy and value of all humanity through this world. And it is not through being fearful that we will become irrelevant. Instead, we will only become irrelevant if we remain fearful. So what do we do? Where do we go? We need to own our mistakes. We need to understand that God's love and grace is bigger than our fear. It's bigger than anything we are concerned about. Perfect love casts out fear. So maybe more than anything, what we need to do right now, if we're asking if people can count on Christians in a crisis, what we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing willing to perfectly love everybody? Are we willing to hear their story? Are we willing to reach out and say, I'm here to help you because you're in pain, because something has happened to you? And I think it's okay to say, I am uncomfortable while I'm doing this. This is new for me. Just own it. One of the worst parts about having a strongman president is we feel we have to maintain that. And so this masculine version of Christianity where we have to be tough and we say, don't tread on me and you can take my gun from my cold dead hands and and we're ready to slice off people's ears when they come after our Jesus. We need to set all that aside and follow the true example of Christ. Which means going out and talking to people that the rest of society has left behind. Which means reaching out to them in their time of need. And if we can do that, then we will be doing divine work. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross Examination. Um, One more episode to do in this series. Um, Hoping to get that done tomorrow. We'll see, though. Might be busy. Um, But the final one is going to be called The Great Decommission. And I want to explore what happens if we don't figure stuff out as a white American church. What happens when we continue to not put our voices behind the voices of the oppressed. And I hope you'll join me for that. I hope this has been good um, 
for you as well. If you want to have the conversation and you already know who I am, then you can, you probably already connected with me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Prindle. Um, thank you so much for giving me the space and time to be with you. I really appreciate it. Farewell, good people. <laughs>